Our next stop was another earthbound extraterrestrial, and we weren't looking forward to the experience. Somewhere in this city was Martian Manhunter, he of the fire phobia and plethora of powers. We weren't clear on one thing, though. Where were we? Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Oh boy. <laughs> it's our favorite. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about Martian Manhunter issues a lot as a benchmark of mediocrity within the DC lineup at this point. And... You know, I feel like it's it's notable to mention that we aren't also reading things that aren't doing too well at the same time, and also we aren't reading every single thing that we can get our hands on. We haven't read Dinosaur Island. We haven't read, you know, Haunted Tank. That's a thing? Dinosaur Island? Yeah, a bunch of World War II Marines stuck on an island full of dinosaurs. That's a thing. Um, Haunted Tank is about, you know, remember, the, the Civil War general from the South whose spirit is in a tank? Uh I remember hearing about that. There's a lot we're not covering. And Martian Manhunter, by virtue of being in the Justice League, is one of those things and one of those characters that you know by proximity. I mean, he's in the Justice League cartoon. He's in Young Justice, which was the more contemporary cartoon for audiences. But seeing his importance and then seeing his lackluster line is... Very important to see in a perspective of the company as a whole. And again, comparing Martian Manhunter stories to uh, Aquaman stories because they are the same writer also gives you kind of an understanding as literary enthusiasts that sometimes it's the plot. Sometimes it's the subject matter you're given and sometimes, you know, not everybody can write the, the best thing, you know. And that's okay. But Martian Manhunter alone is important for the history of DC Comics in general. And that's kind of why we're covering him, especially because he's a Justice League member. He is one of the founding members. It's important that we cover him. If we were to ignore him, it would be pretty obvious. People would be like, isn't he showing up in comics? We'd be like, yeah, he is. It's Detective Comics. We're just choosing not to. Um, So with that being said, we're covering uh, the 1962 to 1963 year in detective comics for martian manhunter um we're gonna try and go quickly through this except for a couple of issues that specifically are important um other than that not much going on here that we don't already see normally with martian manhunter and hopefully this will be just a shorter issue i mean there's only so many times a shorter episode matt and i can only go over how not good he is so often and so long so we're gonna try and keep ourselves I know Joanne has said stuff about it to a, to a, a less lengthy episode for the, for the subject matter involved. I feel like we're going to have a conversation later on and I'm, I'm excited for this. Yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be, this is going to be interesting. Uh, this one specifically, especially the second issue we're going to touch here is, is important. Um, so detective comics, number 300, February, 1962, we're going to start right at the gate. A museum and, movies have been made in honor of martian manhunter and he's concerned that folks who go to the museum are going to figure out his secret uh, weakness which is fire and uh that's a bummer because some guys think that they do and he has to fight them and, and prove that he's not by using an animatronic martian manhunter robot in his place and they think oh well i guess he's not you know weak to fire um for those who have forgotten 
Jean Jeans, the Martian Manhunter, is uh, an alien who was transported to our planet by Professor Erdell, who accidentally made a teleporting machine. And um, he is now moonlighting on our planet as Detective John Jones of uh, the police department in his city. I found out that the city that he's in is in Denver, or rather it's in Colorado. Huh. Middleton. Middleton is the city that they're in. It is not named, but I guess it gets named later, but its first appearance is in a Detective Comics that we saw. Um, but Middleton is the city that John Johns, or John Jones is in, and uh, it's in Colorado. Fun fact for you. Detective Comics number 301, March 19, 1962. This is probably the most important issue of all of them, and it will quickly become irrelevant. <laughs> Martians come to Earth by way of Professor Erdell's machine. Someone has kind of reverse engineered it, and Martians are now coming to our planet um, by way of a uh, guy who got amnesia after using the machine and getting, getting transported to Mars, and he's teaching them how to be criminals. And the criminals are then coming to Earth and doing a bunch of stuff and robbing things for him. Martian Manhunter goes to Mars. The thing that he has always wanted to do that he has never done. He goes to Mars. Even after he sent his brother back. He goes to Mars. Sees his family. Says, hold on a second. I've got to go catch a criminal. Catches the criminal by way of outsmarting uh, the Martians because the, the guy from Earth is using matches to scare everybody. And Martians are weak to fire. Outsmarts the criminal by wetting the matches with, like, dew and nectar from plants. And then leaves Mars. And through the entire year of this comic that we're going to cover, he never goes back to mars it's never mentioned again his family is never brought up again it is the the sitcom trope of and they are never to be seen or heard from again it's bananas i was trying to remember because so there was the story where his brother came and then went back wasn't there there was something that led to him being on mars for a little bit right like just like a, a brief moment okay yes and then this, but neither of those times did he ever interact with his family. This time he goes to his parents' place, hugs his parents, says that he can't tell them what's been going on, gets the guy back to Earth, and then doesn't go back to his family to be like, hey, so here's what's been going on. And I think that might even be... Is that the last time that anything involving his backstory happens in this entire... In, in this year. cover? In this year, 1962, yes. He never talks about going back to Mars ever again. These are no longer stories that are concerned with any kind of world building. Yeah, Jean Jean's is a bad son. <laughs> oh. I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go out and say yeah, it. Yeah, you know. He now knows that he has the ability to go home whenever he feels like it, and he just doesn't. Um, Detective Comics number 302, April 1962. A Greek god-themed criminal with, um, I don't know, mechanical Greek mythos things. Uh kidnaps diane mead the police commissioner's daughter who is also a, a beat cop that john jones knows um and he has to do things for this zeus guy and he beats him by outsmarting him um detective comics number 303 may 1962 criminals attack passengers on a plane flight that is landing in middleton um after they see that the Martian Manhunter saves it, and they think that Martian Manhunter must have been on the flight to have saved the flight. 
So they start systematically trying to attack every person who was on the flight. Um, and Martian Manhunter comes and saves them. So they're like basically whittling down who the Manhunter could possibly be. And then, he, of course, he outsmarts them and gets them to understand that it is not him when they try and attack John Jones. Um, because, like, really, at the end of the day, the solution to these never matters because it's always and he wins. And we're never going to go in depth on how that works like we did with, you know, Green Arrow or um, kind of a thing. But we, as opposed to how in depth we get with... Um, you know, Green Lantern and Flash. We're just not going to because there really isn't that much, ex- nothing, nothing really exciting about it. Even with Aquaman, it's more exciting. Um, Detective Comics number 304, June 1962. A criminal teaching other criminals to be better at crime makes a really big flamethrower. <laughs> and yep. they attack Martian Manhunter with it. That's about the whole plot. Detective Comics number 305, July 1962. Um, sorry, the last one was in June. This is July. Um, a man from the future named Future Man attacks John Jones frequently as the Martian Manhunter um, because he thinks that he was chasing a Martian criminal from the future and thinks that all Martians, I guess, look alike. So he was attacking Martian Manhunter. And then when he finds out what's going on, they hunt down the real criminal and they go back to the future. It's really weird racial profiling. Yeah. Uh, detective. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, that was a complicated and problematic story for a lot for a lot of racial reasons. Yeah, and especially because, like, he would have known that Martian Manhunter was around at this point. So it's n- defi- it's definitively not just a, oh, there's only one Martian on Earth. It's, there's one plus the one that I'm chasing. It, Yeah, like, I read through it and I just absolutely had the, well, look for a tall black man situation. It's just... Not to mention that Martians are drawn distinctively different from each other, and even the Martian women have hair. Like, all the Martian men are bald, but the Martian women have hair, and the Martian men all look different from each other, where they try to be as different as possible as the art allows. So it was just one of those things where you're like, "Mm, okay. Yeah, the the one thing in their defense on that, though, is those particular Martians do... uh, Or John Jones and, what was it, Ben Burns or whatever... Uh, yeah, Ben Burns. Uh, oh my god, are, I forgot about his name. <laughs> yeah, uh, do look. Uh, they are dressing alike. They have the same like general like head structure. Is sort of a way that they're often differentiated, even if they're wearing similar clothes. This one, it, yeah, it's like okay, the they do look similar, but yeah, yeah. Also, a cool fight between the Martians that was pretty neat. It was just a, a nice super fight that we don't really see John Jones getting a lot. And, and actually, now that I think about it, I want to expound a little bit further, because one thing that makes that racial profiling element of it so uncomfortable is that the... So, Future Man is coming from a future where Martians and humans are cohabitating on Earth. And it's, on the one hand, you have that. On the other hand, you have this uncomfortable racial dynamic, which realistically is probably just, hey, there's a white writer who hasn't thought about the implications of this. But... Mm-hmm. That just, it's just rough. Uh, Detective Comics number 306, August 1962. A meteor that emanates fire heat causes Martian Manhunter to struggle with his powers for a day until the meteor's heat just dies out. That's kind of a dumb roundabout way to talk about how his weakness is fire when the meteor itself isn't on fire, but we're just going to pretend like that didn't happen. Um, Detective Comics number 307, 
September 1962, Martian Manhunter masquerades as a criminal to find a hideout where Diane is also kidnapped and held as a damsel because apparently just because she's a cop means she can't do anything. And I'm really pissed about that uh, because I really wish more women were written like Joan or Shaira. Or not Joan, uh, June. June from the Challengers. Okay. Who actually is like a, an adventurer and um, Shaira, who's a warrior and a cop. The difference yeah. between Shaira being written as, yeah, she's a woman, but also a skilled fighter, and Diane, who is a woman in a cop uniform, is very stark. And even beyond that, like, you have, I guess, sort of three tiers of uh, woman supporting characters in this period of time. You have, like, Shaira, and then you have, like, Iris, who is capable but she's not contributing to the solution of the challenge it's just she's there and she's not really the damsel in distress and diane is 100 percent getting treated as the damsel in distress for these stories yeah it, there, there is the the out of the 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 active participant the out of the way character and the damsel yeah and out of the way isn't even out of the way isn't even true it's like the incidental plot mover Carol, Carol, yeah. Carol, and Iris are usually someone who instigate the plot, just uh, like uh, the Adams girlfriend does. Mm-hmm. You know, someone Involved who, who in instigates or helps. Yeah, yeah. Can, I kind of like the idea of can, can we get like art of those particular characters, just like buddy cop pose, instigation squad, <laughs> the instigation, instigation nation. Uh, <laughs> oh no! That, see, that's a that's a wrestling stable. Probably, yeah. Detective Comics, number 308, October 1962. Oh, God. Okay. Um, DC has this weird fascination in the 1960s to write anachronistic societies and civilizations that just are completely functional at the same time as contemporary technology. And I, God, I want to know what's going on with the, the editing room at DC during the 60s. It's just a baffling mess of what the fuck. So... Livonia, which is effectively like a Jamestown-esque situation. And for those of you who don't know what Jamestown is, it's a basically a theme park, an educational theme park where they where people live and work as if it was colonial, or like Williamsburg, colonial Williamsburg or Jamestown, or um, they have them occasionally also in Europe as like medieval civilizations where people can be like, hey, this is what it looked like when the Scots lived in huts and burned peat moss and et cetera, et cetera. It is for lack of a better term, an edutainment theme park. Um, this one happens to be about medieval times with knights and barons and, and, and kings and a castle and all sorts of jazz. So John Jones is asked to go there to help investigate a crime. While he's on his way there, he is in a carriage that is attacked and he has to save it as Martian Manhunter, but he realizes that if he, if Martian Manhunter appears at the same time that John Jones is in this very specific location, it's very suspicious. So he basically disappears John Jones as a person and says that he's in the woods. And then as Martian Manhunter solves the issue that's going on there, apparently there's a Baron trying to steal a ring that's got magic powers. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. None of this makes any sense, and none of it matters. But suffice it to say, John Jones beats the crap out of a bunch of guys who were playing medieval times, and 
steals a ring back from them and then also does enough of a switcheroo that he's like, oh, and also, I was here in the forest this whole time. Did Martian Manhunter save everyone? And it was very convenient. It is, like, between this and the, the last place with the, the weird, like, country in the Alps that that Thomas wanted to stamp from that was, like, an yeah. old peasant village in Germany, what the hell is going on? Are there just towns that are just like, meh, you know what was really great? The medieval period we should just stay like this the thing that's a little bit weird is microstates now tend to be tend to do extremely well like uh i think monaco uh mm-hmm. yeah there are a couple other places like it uh Liechtenstein, uh or Liechtenstein. but yeah like these nowadays these are places that tend to do really well like uh monaco has i think it functions as like a tax haven and such uh they Mm. tend to have extremely high gdp per capita um but i don't know if that was the case at this point but they certainly weren't these like abandoned not abandoned isn't the right word left behind civilizations lost in time yeah because i mean the (laughs) thing you see like going back is these are places that have said all right we are a distinct country but our foreign policy and national defense is coming from this other country. And 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 to be we 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 are we are you know exaggerating a bit here. This country or is is supposed to be an educational thing. It is not like they have just said we're going to be medieval knights forever. I, it is I specifically it was that. no. Maybe I misread. They they say hmm. that it is an educational like theme park. Okay. But it operates as its own country. Oh yeah, it was for the tourism. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's a tourism thing. But even so, it's like these people are committed to the bit. <laughs> like they they are like, you know, speaking the language correctly. It's like going to an entire place that's medieval times and being like, you guys don't even have plumbing here, do you? Like there's no reason to commit this hard, but you are. All right, cool. You know. Detective Comics number 309, November 1962. Um Searching for uh, a UFO enthusiast, uh, Martian Manhunter finds him on a ship where he has been abducted, and Diane Mead, of course, is also there for reasons. Um, and they go; they are taken back to the planet of these new aliens who were trying to invade us. And they take you know Martian Manhunter and Diane into a room, and they go like, "Okay, right, we're going to you know, evaluate you because we want to see how easy it is to take over Earth." And Martian Manhunter pretends he's an Earthling and just does all of his Martian powers and beats the crap out of everybody. And they're like, oh my god, everyone on Earth is so powerful. Never mind, we don't want to do this. And again, there is a moment where Martian Manhunter is proclaimed to be the most powerful being in the universe. And I really feel like we can't do that crap when he's in the same book as Superman in Justice League. Like... Someone has to stop the guy who's writing Martian Manhunter stories from doing that. I don't know. I don't know why he hasn't been slapped on the wrist, but it's dumb and I hate it every time I see it. I'm like, you're wrong. Stop saying that. Say like he's the most powerful Martian. I don't care. We won't. We don't know if that's true or not, but don't. He's not the most powerful being in the universe because Superman sneezed a solar system away. We have a whole episode about that. The second John Jones does that too, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you. But he hasn't done it so far, so he's just really good. Uh, they bring the UFO enthusiast back to Earth, and Diane for a second thinks that he had been Martian Manhunter the whole time. It's stupid. Detective Comics number 310, November, uh, December 1962. A scientist who makes a shrinking ray 
just decides to be a criminal and shrink a bank and stuff. And Martian Manhunter's like, this is dumb. And there's a whole caper that ensues. And, you know, I got to I had to talk about something for a second. Martian Manhunter is a guy who can shape change, right? He got shrunk. Oh. Should he just be able to regrow himself back up to normal size? Huh. The whole plot <laughs> of that issue is, and what my mind is, Jean Jean's got bored. I wanted to see if he could solve a tiny. That makes it so. That does make it good. Um, <laughs> that I'm trying to think it through, and like, I mean, I was gonna say something about like. Well, I guess it depends on how the shrinking works and whether it maintains all of the, like, whether it's just shrinking all or condensing your uh, matter together, or if there's actually some like mass displacement. Uh, but yeah, there's no reason to assume he couldn't shapeshift back. Kind of dumb. And. Honestly, that's that's kind of par for the course, at least some of the time. Like, there are stories in here where it's just like, you didn't really think this one through as well as you could have. Um, like, the there's just a level of polish that isn't here. Uh, the other the example that I go back to is I think the first story from from uh, this block that we covered. Uh, there's the one where he uses the animatronic and basically like he u- he uses it and pretends that it's him. It gets hit by a bunch of fire and it just like walks through it and it's like, okay, then that. So I guess he isn't affected by fire. Uh, but they never established that it's an animatronic. It's just uh, they they show it like it's mid stride, but it just looks like a wax sculpture or something. There is never anything that establishes, oh, a, this is remote controlled, which the final like twist, like reveal at the end says, oh, it's a remote control like device uh, or just that it's an animatronic in general. Neither of those things are established. It's not Chekhov's gun. It's like there's a thing above Chekhov's mantelpiece and then at the end of Act 3 and it was a gun this whole time. Yeah, we we kind of talked about this in the last episode. Yeah, it's... There's a lack of polish there. Yeah. Anyway, those are all the issues that we're covering because then we get from to 1963 to 64 in next ep- uh, episode. Boy, howdy. Our Martian Manhunter stories unique. And again, I think the most important thing to take from this is they gave him his his undying wish, which is to return home. And then said, meh, that's that important. And we're not doing anything about that. The The, the attempt to give him plot or to give him something that could, in theory, enrich his character, is starkly ignored for the sake of being serial. This is a book that feels like it doesn't have an identity in a lot of ways, because there are also villains here who just feel like this This feels extremely out of place next to Martian Manhunter. Uh, He's fighting Golden Age criminals. Yeah, you're right on that, because it's not... They're not villains who are super over the top in their theme, but they're extra in their theme. Like, it's not Polka Dot Man, who is yeah. a Batman villain in the first <laughs> issue of this. Like, yeah. Bat- Detective Comics number 300 is Polka Dot Man. This is just like, you have Zeus, like, super villain who models himself after Zeus. And that's 
that's different and it's not as crazy, but it's still not what I would think of as a John Jones villain because it, yeah. I'm so used to it being like, oh, some super science in the hands of crooks. The Zeus thing would be more impressive were he to come back again. Yes. Yeah. I guess that's a thing we should, yeah, we should call that out is there is no repetition here of characters of any kind, really. The commission, it's the commissioner and Diana Mead and John Jones. That's it. Well, it's like, it's like law and order. Those criminals aren't coming back because then it gives a plot to the story, to the show that is not what the show is about. Yeah. The show is not about an overarching plot of sing, of you know returning villains. It is about criminals, different types of criminals every time. And there is a genuine space for John Jones to be fighting aliens coming to Earth and doing the Superman, this is my adopted home, I will protect it with my life bit. That would work because he has coded much more alien than Superman. And he's coded much more alien than even the Hawks. Mm-hmm. And for him to fit into that niche would have been great. But they are just having him do what everyone else does. And it makes him a cut-rate Superman. The other thing that I think is hurting him here is... We talked about how he is uh, one of the original leaguers. And even beyond that, like the thing that I knew him from early on when I was reading like my first exposure to him was JLA in the late 90s early 2000s and he was the guy his claim to fame was that he had been in every incarnation of the Justice League just all the way through and that he was the uh, the veteran isn't quite the right word but he's he's the old head in some ways Um, he has done this he can be the one who other character when other characters are getting amped up. He is the one who's like, no, Batman, you can't punch Guy, Guy Gardner right now, um, and and you just you don't have that yet because he hasn't had that time, and they're not going to manufacture that out of whole cloth. So part of who he eventually becomes, you can only get there by story momentum. Yeah, All right, and then. The thing that I think is interesting is that we started this whole episode talking about how we sort of use Martian Manhunter stories as a benchmark of bad. And I found myself doing some, saying something interesting as I was reading these stories. I was actually enjoying some of them. And I want to be clear. These are not good stories. They're not even... At best, they are consistently okay. But the majority of the stories didn't actively repel me like they used to. It definitely, like... It's more of a second half of this sort of thing. But there are a couple things that happened over this block of time. And this is going to be the the key thing I've got for the day. First off, uh, in the second issue we cover... 301 he, he gets more pages um before it detective comics was doing three stories per issue uh split between uh him batman and either roy raymond or the last like 10 or so had been uh aquaman stories so 
it goes from that to just to just a Batman story and a Martian Manhunter story. So he has more pa- more pages to work with, and that isn't inherently a good thing. But in this case, that first off, that is a change, and I'll sort of talk a little bit later about why I, I do think that was a they are making good use of the the extra pages. The other thing that happens at issue three hundred six uh, and. This is going off of DC Wikia data, which is always a little bit more iffy than the official official stuff. The executive editor changes. It goes from Jack Schiff to Whitney Ellsworth. And Whitney Ellsworth did action comics and Superman stories. And we have mixed opinions on those. They are so uh, gimmicky and sort of what we refer to as Silver Age, Silver Age, I guess. At one point, I referred to, like, Silver Age versus, like, Electrum Age or whatever being uh, uh, being the, like, Hal Jordan and Barry Allen stories, like, those, keeping those things separate. But at least with Action Comics and Superman, those were stories that, were structured well they had Mm -hmm. a solid backbone of i guess here are three wishes and somehow superman has to turn them all around on his head and it felt like some bullshit but it was it was doing a clear thing and there's always there was always imagination and things fit together well it was things like superman uh figuring out how to monkey's paw all the different wishes. It's like, okay, yeah, I I see what you did there. And to, not for all of the stories here, but for many of the stories, they hold together a little better in that way. For instance, uh, the, the one that stands out the most to me is against the Zeus crime Lord. Uh, there's a point where, Zeus is going to double cross Martian Manhunter. There's Martian Manhunter is uh has agreed to work for him so he doesn't kill Diane and agrees to get golden apples because everything has to be Greek themed. Uh and he shows up with he he takes a bunch of uh gold bricks from Fort Knox and condenses them into the shape of an apple and he tosses them up to him. Uh but he's actually taken like water balloons or something and has and throws those up and they splash and extinguish the flames that are around Zeus that have been keeping Martian Manhunter from being able to just like lock him down and save Diane. And yeah, that just that is a story that holds together better because it is a established clear stakes earlier and B, you can it's the it's the Gardner Fox thing of. Yeah, you know, you didn't necessarily, like, establish, like, you didn't foreshadow anything, but, yeah, like, water water puts out fire, and he was expecting there to be something thrown up to him. It's in the same way that Gardner Fox would do those, like, science explanations of how he overcomes a challenge. Like, yeah, you know, that, that science makes sense. It's the same kind of thing where it's not inspired in any way, but at least it holds together. It, it works. It works well enough in a Saturday morning cartoon way that it that it's entertaining and it makes sense and it's not overly complicated. 
Yeah, and in particular, you also don't have, like, twists where the revelation happens as an explanation at the end. It's, there are more of these moments where it's, oh, this happened, and that gives me the chance to leap in and do the thing. Uh, the other example of that is another instance where Diane gets uh, kidnapped. Uh, she is going to be killed if he goes into the room. Uh, she's in, like, a big glass box, and they're going to murder her. And he shape changes into the shape of the uh, crime boss. And that gets him into the room. And then he drops the mask and starts going to town, just knocking people out. It's like, yeah, that's how you do a twist reveal of, oh, I was this person all along. Instead of just, hey, how did how did this happen? Well, Commissioner, now that you now that the plan has come full circle, let me tell you how I did this. So it's. It's not terrible in those ways. It, instead of being smart, it's being exciting. There's a difference between being insufferably clever <laughs> and revealing your plan at the end like you were the smartest person in the room and, it, and taking everyone along for a ride. Yeah. The, the how did this happen here, let me tell you, is telling, not showing, even though they are showing you in a visual medium. Watching it happen in real time is showing, not telling. And... I can't say with any certainty that, that that better structure and being willing to like take you through the process is because they have the extra pages, but I mean, the timing is certainly the same that as they make the change to have more pages available, the only thing that's really changed is they, or the other way around, uh, the point at which the challenge solutions start being clearer and working better is the only thing that's changed at that point is the uh, amount of pages available. Yeah. So that's the big thing. But other than that, um, this was a thing that has sort of been bubbling in the back of my head and I, I, I don't have an answer for this and I've probably brought this up in the past, but how much leeway should we be giving creative teams of this era for getting little like wikipedia things wrong uh for instance zeus is determined to kidnap diane because she's diana the goddess and there's a couple different things there but the one that i want to really like laser in on is something that dc has been guilty of in other cases it's they're mixing the greek and roman pantheons and because in Greek, it would be Artemis. Either it should be Artemis and Zeus or Diana and Jupiter. And the thing is, I don't know whether to give them the benefit of the doubt of they made a conscious choice that people know the name Zeus and that's the one they're going to go with by Jove. Uh, or if it's that they just, this, this is the only way to make it work from a like from a wordplay side so here we're gonna do it uh or if they just or if they didn't have access to the same resources we do i don't know it just it comes across as you didn't take the time to look in an encyclopedia because um, i can't i have difficulty believing that there wasn't the same kind of knowledge about that like we now, I think there's enough awareness of, like, the Greek gods to be able to say, huh, eh, that that's not quite right. Uh, 
even without having to go to Wikipedia. Hmm. That being said, there are all kinds of things that can sort of come into the picture there uh, of, hey, we grew up with Hercules. Maybe there was a resurgence in Greek god popularity in general. Um, But it just... It's hard to give them the benefit benefit of the doubt and just say not say, okay, you guys were probably lazy. It's too hard to ignore. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is. It's far. It's far too common to ignore and write off as a one-time mistake. I think that's the other point. Is even aside from it being common, like the fact that it takes me out, the fact that it breaks immersion for me is a writing failure in and of itself. This one, oh yes, it was the meteor story. Uh, so there's the meteor that's sapping Jean Jean's strength. But at the same time, there are giant mechanical animals stealing just like, hey, there's a giant kangaroo and its pouch is getting filled with uh, coins by the trunk of the giant mechanical elephant. And that might be the Silver Age for me, is that there are these multiple layers of ridiculousness. Uh, Because you can do one thing that's ridiculous, just boom. You establish it in the, uh, as part of the inciting act, uh, if it happens in Act 1, all right, I'm going to buy it and I'll run it all the way through. But having multiple weird and crazy things happening at once, at that point, it means that the story is weird and crazy. If you establish, yeah, it's establishment of the, the, the world. And, and that's the other thing is the world uh, can be weird in some ways. Like you have a character named Captain Cold and he decides to do crazy weird things to impress a girl that he heard on the radio like there's a couple different layers of extra in that but we've already had captain cold established it's not like the first time he shows up he is being extra for the sake of something extra there aren't two hyped up to 11 plot lines whereas this is just Lay it, levels of bullshit stacked on each yeah. other <laughs> and that's the thing is that the story is martian manhunter is having trouble with his powers trying to stop a guy who has created mechanical zoo animals who are helping him commit crimes and the meteor is responsible for hurting him because reasons that is too much you know that's too much when superman stories only have mixius pitalik in them yeah they know that there's such a thing as too weird you don't see Mixius Pitalik and Bizarro in the same comic. Or if you do, it's because they've had a number of stories with them before. And it's kind of like, yeah. yeah. This is a thing that I always talk about in writing. And this is something that you and I have had discussions about in, the, in, the, in a number of situations. This is an instance of the rule of cool got awry. Yeah. There are no stakes when everything is high stakes. And in this instance, with the mechanical giant zoo animals and also a meteor that's affecting his powers, everything is high stakes, therefore I can't care about everything at the same level. So in this instance, I can't care about the zoo animals, his powers don't work. That is that is much scarier 
than giant mechanical zoo animals. Not to mention the fact that we know he's in a different, he's in a world with other superheroes. Where the hell are they? Call someone. Get Snapper to put in a call to anybody else. <laughs> like, situations like this also take away drama because you know he's not alone. His comics still operate under the assumption that he is by himself. And I think that is a huge weakness. Adam and Hawkman have teamed up. Flash and Green Lantern are teaming up. Superman and Batman are in their own comic together. Wonder Woman doesn't act like she's the only person around. She just deals with specifically magic stuff. Or occasional aliens, but no one is ever talking about her as if she's the only person on the planet. Martian Manhunter comics still operate as if he is the only superhero in the world. When we know that's not true. Do you think that's going to change now that Whitney Ellsworth is taking I hope. the head? I hope so. One last, my, my one last thought on uh, what we just went through was there is still a place for stories that are everything is dialed up to 11. And there are two, two main ways that I can see of sort of handling that. And the first is that the impact on the characters has to be like the thing that's serious. Like anything can happen out there, but one once someone like someone in the group like if it's a four person team tackling monster of the week it can be as crazy as you want but the thing that matters is the soap opera between the characters or you go like next wave agents of hate and everything is just for the purpose of crazy and it's spectacle the story of the mechanical animals and the meteor felt like it was going for spectacle and there just wasn't anything there to back it up. Yeah. I, I see mechanical animals all the time in these stories. All right, and that about does it for me. All right. Um, I'm going to do... Uh, we're going to start with recommendations. I'm going to do a game that I didn't talk about last time because I actually wanted to beat it before I actually talked about it because I remember last time I talked about Unraveled with Brian Ooh. David Gilbert um, in the fun episodes of, you know putting the Zelda games in chronological order and which Mortal Kombat character is the best cuddler. Um, the game that I want to talk about is something I kind of found on Steam. It's called Yes, Your Grace, where you play as a king who is in charge of a kingdom that is about to be under siege. And you have uh, three daughters and a wife, and you have to deal with kind of the family drama. You have to answer, answer questions and requests for your aid at court all the while preparing for an invasion, dealing with uh, prophecies and some magic and dealing with monsters that have come to your kingdom. Um, it's very interesting. I really like it. It's a little bit pixel graphics, but the soundtrack is very beautiful. It's fun. It's got a lot of heart to it. I think it's actually pretty well written. Um, and uh, I can see that there is a lot of replayability to it as well. Um, it's on Steam. It is made, I think, by a Slavic um, design team as well, which is great. Always supporting game designers in different countries other than, you know, America, Europe, and uh, Asia. And it, it's just really fun. You could probably beat it in a day if you sat down and started in the morning and, like, really powered through it. But it's fun, and it's interesting, and it's cute, and his like your character's daughters are very are very sweet and they're fun characters each each of them and the relationship the character has with the wife is very good um you can recognize little things where like 
um two women come to the court and they say that like one one of them says that when the child that she has is hers and the other woman says that the child that she had that the child is actually hers it's a very much a king solomon situation so some of them you know the answer to by knowing old fake you know old fables and folklore and you can kind of do you know what you think is right or you can just be a whatever kind of king you want just throw everybody in jail (laughs) and it's kind of fun like it's it's a it's a good game and i would suggest picking it up it's probably only twenty dollars on steam now it's a it's a good purchase all right on my end i'm i haven't finished it yet but i'm gonna mm-hmm. recommend final fantasy 7 remake i am enjoying this i i got a ps4 just for this uh which is a little bit of hyperbole because i will certainly make use of it there are ps4 exclusives that i want to play but the thing that was like oh i i should get this is final fantasy 7 remake partly because yes fan of the original but I had written this off because it seemed like it was just going to be half-assed. And no, it has not been. It has gone some interesting places. Uh, I'm really not sure whether the things that are in this were just not there or underdeveloped in the original or if this just commits that much harder to the themes that it is going for i'm honestly not sure but the one thing i will say is the pacing works for me because i am very invested in a lot of the a lot of the experience and a lot of the character moments but if there's a demo play the demo if you don't like the combat it's probably going to be a long painful slog in some ways just not horribly so i guess i'm probably overstating it but there's a lot of JRPG, okay, I'm, here's a side quest I gotta do, here's these combats that aren't doing anything special or different. Uh, I enjoy the combat, but it's it's because it's hitting a little happy place in my brain rather than it's doing something profoundly new and different. And they're doing, but like story-wise, there's some stuff that they're hinting at and i can't wait for them to finally be like okay and here's the reveal and here's how things are going to go because they're hinting at some stuff (laughs) oh good i'm glad next episode will be more martian manhunter but we are close to the metal men and that'll be new and exciting for us and it might only be a few issues but we'll we'll go through what we can and just kind of talk about it. Even if it's only one issue, it's it's worth looking at. Um, hopefully you're all doing well. Hopefully you're all staying safe. Uh, and we will see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, now we had a name for the city. And John had stepped up his game. His stories were shifting, they were more satisfying. They were going from fiat victories to thought-out solutions. There wasn't much world-building, but he had more pages to work with now. Maybe the next round of stories would keep changing things.